This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and you're listening to the Super League of Sports Business Podcasts, The Sportacast. Evan, I was going to predict that you were going to say, and this is the Super Sporter cast. And you, all right, you were right there. <laughs> Close. But you're, gi- you're giving away sort of that, what are we talking about today? If, if ever there is a moment of anticipation in the Sporter cast, it's right now. <laughs> and we've dashed it all. Everybody knows what we're talking about. And what a topic it is, Scott. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the- the, there's so much to unpack here. Uh, yeah, it, it, unless you're... Uh, going ostrich with a uh, head in the ground. You know, it, this has tentacles all over sport, multiple continents um, of, of interest. But in general, in general, we'll say, the biggest clubs of world soccer have decided that they want to form their own Super League. And I'll just name a few, Evan, and then you can go where you want to go with this. But even casual football fans, soccer fans will know the likes of. And I guess I'll go in a little bit of alphabetical order and in, in, in some of this, in, at least in the EPL, the English Premier League. Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, Tottenham, Barcelona. Do you like that? Do you like my Barcelona? <laughs> nice. Bien hecho, see? Real Madrid, AC Milan, Inter Milan, Juventus, uh, and there's spots for three more because you'll notice who I didn't say a lot of speculation around Bayern Munich, Dortmund, PSG, but 12 clubs right now. It's, it's a bit of a secession, right? Can I, can I say that? This is a bit of a secession yeah, and they want their own think, league. Yeah. So that, that's where we are. Give me the knee jerk reaction, Evan, because we've been hearing about this for a while. And now the clubs have come out with a grand proclamation of their intention to do so. And just to finish setting the stage for folks who aren't as familiar with the model in European soccer, the clubs in European soccer more or less compete in two separate leagues. They compete in their domestic leagues, your La Liga in Spain, your Serie A in, in Italy, your Premier League in, in, in the UK. And then they also compete in this Champions League, which is every year a collection of the best teams in Europe compete separately from their domestic leagues to crown the club team that is the best team in Europe. 
that second thing, that Champions League is what is being surpassed here. All these clubs are going to keep playing domestically. Manchester United will keep playing in the Premier League. What will change is that instead of qualifying for and trying to win the Champions League, all of these teams are then going to automatically go into their own kind of continental championship each year. Scott, my initial reaction here, and I think you'll agree with me, I find this both unsurprising and totally inevitable. The the way that soccer is structured in Europe is a bit more democratic. I would even call it maybe more socialist. There's a lot more spreading out of the wealth. And the truth is that so much of that money that gets spread out to lower teams are made by the 12 teams you just listed, the most popular teams in the world. And those clubs, they have not been shy in the past few years about wanting to make more of the money that they're generating. And this is the the model that they're choosing to do so. For Americans, it looks very similar to the structure that we have in place for leagues like the NFL. There's no relegation. You don't need to qualify for this thing. You're going to be in it. You can set up how you want to share the money between the teams. Um, but again, th- this feels like it is certainly a money grab. There's no question about that. This is a setup that is much more lucrative for the richest teams in, in Europe. But I think it was the writing has been on the wall for a while for this. Yeah, it's not a surprise, by the way, that some of those clubs are owned by Americans. And Mm -hmm. we've been doing this long enough to know, Eben, that when they made these investments, these billionaires who also own, whether it be baseball teams or NFL teams uh, or, or basketball NBA teams, when these investments were made, we've heard the same thing over and over again, that the system in Europe, from a marketing standpoint, from an arena stadium standpoint, is anywhere from 10 to 20 years behind the U.S. So everybody looks to upgrade a facility, then there's media, then there's marketing. So they they saw a way to make more money. But to do that, you're, of course, going to trample on many of the traditions you were just talking about if you're doing things solely to maximize the revenue. So in this, by the way, just sort of a how it would work, they would play midweek games, right? It'd be what two, twenty teams split into ten, uh, mm-hmm. two divisions. The top three in each would would go on for quarterfinal, and then others would have to play their way in. I ask you, based on the how it would work, Evan, is there interest? If I'm a let's, I'm going to pick one. If I'm a Man United fan, am I interested in seeing my team on? Tuesday or Wednesday in September, traveling to Real Madrid? Or yes. will it, you will, you, you consistently, <laughs> I want to see midweek the best names in soccer playing against each other. I think yes. And, and I'll, I'll reframe your question a little bit because it's, I think How there's, a, dare there, you? There, there's a big part of, of what you're getting at. I don't know if it's exactly what you mean. There are two types of Manchester United fans. There are the diehard England Manchester United fans who probably hold on to this idea of Manchester United as a club team from Manchester that represents the people of Manchester. And increasingly that percentage of of the total Manchester United, that's becoming a smaller and smaller percentage as soccer becomes a global game. And it's truly a global game. The people that are tuning in and becoming Manchester United fans in pick a country, if it's India, if it's China, that's a group of people that aren't going to games really probably ever in their lives in England. 
They care a lot about the top clubs. These are people that are taking, they, they love individual players. They're playing FIFA. The concentration of new fans finding the game in new parts of the world are concentrating very highly on these exact teams. It's these teams. And yes, those people I would imagine, and I would consider myself one of them, someone who watches a lot of EPL games. I watch a few other leagues. I don't have a I don't have a skin in the game. I've never been to Leeds. I've never been to Liverpool. I've never been to Manchester. I've never been to any of these places. I want to see the best teams compete. And if that is seeing more of Messi versus Ronaldo, seeing that eight times a year instead of potentially just two times a year, that seems like a huge win. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the market will bear that out media-wise. If you were to sell two identical packages and and one is the Champions League as it exists right now, and one is this Super League that has 20 of the top teams only playing each other, I imagine that's a much more lucrative media contract. You are not a homebody at all. Uh, you know, you're, you're in Colorado right now. You've been hanging around Utah. Uh, when, when COVID allows, you and I, I think we need to hop on over to the UK and get you at Old Trafford or something. Uh, or Wembley uh, to see one of these games. You're like, I haven't, a, you, you should do that. But much of that, by the way, much of that is new media. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I know this is just anecdotal, but I'm just going to call up one because why not? Because I can, because it's half my show. Manchester United, 25.1 million Twitter followers. Now, I don't have that broken down by geography, but you were right. I'm willing to wager that a good number of those are outside the UK, folks who have never, will never travel and see that team play live. But it's all about new media. Um, Is it time, by the way, for my Simpsons reference that I've often made on the podcast? Is it like, seems like the right time right now, right? Pop shop? Yeah, yeah, that's the reference, yes. So there is an episode, yes, where somebody, I, I think it's Homer, is walking into the hardware store and there is a giant sign that says mom and pop hardware. And they don't point it out. You know, he goes in, you either see it or you don't. But off to the side, right by the door, you know, the giant letters, mom and pop, there's a little, little sign by the entrance that says a division of global dominance, Inc. <laughs> and you get the feeling that what you're saying, the supporters have the mom and pop feel, even though the whole sport is governed by global dominance, Inc., including JP Morgan Chase. We'll get to that. But they don't want what comes with it. They still want the mom and pop feel. Is that a correct that is, that way is to exactly summarize? That is exactly what I'm saying. And I'm saying that that mom and pop feel disappears when Middle Eastern sovereign wealth funds and sheiks are the ones that are buying, and U.S. billionaires are the ones that own these teams. That that, that it changes the entire dynamic. And look, there is, and I'll, I'll I'll be the first to say this. There's kind of a beauty in the democratization of the way European soccer is set up right now. If you are the best team in Portugal and you are also happen to be the best team in, in, in the world at that time, you can win the Champions League. That's great. And for Leicester City, if you can come Can out I say Benfica just because I like to say Benfica? <laughs> Perfect. Benfica can, the fact that Benfica can win <laughs> the European Championship, if they just happen to have a really good team in one year, there's something very elegant to that. But putting on a different hat, if I'm Stan Kroenke, one of these billionaires who owns LA Rams, also owns Arsenal, I don't care about that structure anymore. I, I own a team in the NFL. I see exactly what it's like to be in a league that has no relegation, that if the Rams are one and 15 or 16 and Oh, they're going to get the same 300 plus million dollar check from the league. The, the economics of owning a team like this are the European super league fits the owners of those teams. And when you sell these teams to those people, 
this is what comes with it. This is what comes with the globalization and the increased commercialization of, of European soccer. It's that eventually those guys decide, hey, we want a structure that lets us keep more of the money we're generating. Yeah, you're okay, though, with building a huge moat around the teams. Like once you're in the club, it's pull up the drawbridge, fill up the moat, throw the sharks in there, and that's it. You can't get in. Like we're here forever just because right now we're we're popular brand. I mean, that's is that that different than what the NHL has done? Or is that different from what the NBA has done? I mean, there's there, there's no structure. And if 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 an AHL team somehow was was the best hockey team on the planet, they're not going to win the Stanley Cup. It's because there's a moat around the NHL right now. And and those are the teams that get to compete for the Stanley Cup. I know this is there's a lot of, of fraught analogies there. But yeah, and I'm and I'm being this the staunch. I'm, cap- I'm going to let capitalist. that one go without. Yeah, I'm going to let I'm gonna that be, one go. I'm being the staunch capitalist on the podcast for sure. Um, but yes, I mean, again, I I think that the writing was on the wall the minute that as, as soccer became increasingly a global commercial entity, that this is the ob- seems to me to be the obvious next step for the sport. And yeah, and, and I say it was obvious something like this would happen because we saw the upper echelon EPL teams uh, carping for a greater share of broadcast revenue for some time now. So, and that's just, that's just one league. Of course, the other big brands and the other leagues will likely feel the same way. They want theirs. But speaking of money, uh, I wouldn't have thought like somehow Jamie Dimon would be in the middle of this, (laughs) but you know, (laughs) I guess JP Morgan Chase is underwriting this um, uh, up to $6 billion clubs that commit, We'll get about four point two billion, uh, but they will. Ha- it's like a loan. They will have to repay uh, about three hundred and seventeen million dollars a year to pay down the debt. That's what two to three percent interest. All right, yep. that's not a bad loan to help you through COVID, uh, all the shortfalls that happen, and and you get the money now. Backed by the media expectation, I would think the the, the main way they think about paying this money back is by selling the media rights to the Super League. So what did I see? Help me out, Novi Williams. The zone was the bro- going to be the broadcaster, and then they denied it. Right? That's what I saw. Like the zone, but denied- I would sure. Yeah, but come on, if you put this out for open bid, who wouldn't be interested? Agreed. It's it's a chance to see no, the best I, I teams know, I know. in soccer playing each other more than they do right now. Um, that seems like it is. Uh, yeah, that seems like something a media company is are, are going to jump over each other to, to be a part of. We should mention a little bit, Scott, before we move on, there is a lot of opposition, not just among fans and supporter groups. There's a lot of oppositions from powerful people within soccer that are trying to fight this. As I understand it, these Premier League teams need permission from their domestic leagues to join the Super League. I don't know if it's the same for the for the Italian Which the does not teams. seem as if that will ever happen because... The EPL, La Liga, Serie A—they've all come out against this. And not, and not only them, FIFA, so UEFA, which puts on the Champions League, uh, kind of rolls up to the, yeah. the big global soccer pyramid that, that that is run by FIFA, has said that that players who play in the Super League might not be might not qualify or, or be able to play in the World Cup, might not be able to play in the in the European Championship, uh, the the newest version of which is coming up uh, pretty soon. There's questions about what this means from an antitrust standpoint with European law. I think there's going to be a lot, and there's still people out there who think that. This is this is still even how developed it is. 
one big kind of leverage play by these uh, by these teams to try to get more of the of, of the rights and the money they generate around the Champions League. So we'll see exactly kind of where all this nets out. I don't have a crystal ball or have any idea of kind of what to think about how likely all of this scenario is. And and you mentioned at the top questions about Bayern Munich, questions about PSG, who are certainly the the two best or, or, or most valuable teams that are not necessarily part of this uh part of this 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 dozen teams so far so a whole world of questions that we we don't have answers to at this point surrounding this one all, all the while by the way we should mention that there is an overhaul of the champions league taking place an expansion to 36 teams so you have sort of the these concurrent events while Champions League is being overhauled, more teams coming in. Now you've got these top clubs that make obviously make or break the Champions League. All the interest is or a lot of the interest is, is driven by these clubs saying we're going to do our own thing. But maybe it's a, an attempt to leverage a leverage play to get more money out of whatever the new version of Champions League will look like. It, it's a it's a shot across the bow of it's not enough. Exactly. And probably no and probably nowhere close. And from a timing standpoint, obviously not a coincidence that they announced this 12 hours before the annual meeting of, of UEFA to announce those Champions League uh, changes. A lot of those changes were essentially directly addressing the gripes that we're talking about these clubs have been making for for years. And some of them, you know, even endorsed by some of the leadership of these clubs before they announced uh, the Super League as well. But but no question, it's a dominant. Some questions that I have for you, Scott, and I'm, it may be too early for this. How much do you think this changes the interest in investment from Americans or even globally into clubs that are not part of this league is, is, you know, pick Aston Villa, whose ownership includes Wes Eden, the ownership of the Milwaukee Bucks. Does that property become way less valuable, more valuable? Does it not change given that there's now a different structure for European uh, Champions League soccer? Well, the interest or the value, two different things. I'll go, uh, I'll go monosyllabic on the interest. Yes. I will go polysyllabic on the value. I Great. don't know. <laughs> I have to see <laughs> exactly how it all shakes out. Uh, because clearly, as Wellington Mara, the old owner of the Giants, used to say when he came up, like he encouraged the big teams to share more um, with, the, with the lesser NFL teams. Like You need somebody to play. Like You need somebody to play. He always made sure to, to make sure that resonated that you need somebody to play. But I'm going to have a good segue here, Evan. If we were looking at college sports and college football, mm. one of the teams that would surely be among the breakaways would be Clemson. Part of it is their quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, who is now, of course, headed to the NFL draft. I would think the likely number one pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars, Shad Khan, Fulham. You like the way I made that soccer so, connection so again? It worked nicely. Here, yeah. It's so many. So, but... but you and I broke the story last week that Trevor Lawrence is signing with Adidas. Since we're, we're talking about European soccer, I'm going to go with the Adidas instead of Adidas pronunciation. Um, and I'm going to tell you, you wrote in the story that, and I, I'm, I'm not even embarrassed to admit this, I think it's a, a failure of marketing. You were like, joining Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers in the three stripes, right? I had no idea that Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers <laughs> were Adidas athletes. I didn't. I had no idea. Like Adidas should have made a three-stripe suit for Aaron Rodgers to go on Jeopardy and reach more people because I had no idea. Go ahead, take it away. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, first of all, it's a huge coup for Adidas. You're, you're getting 
possibly the most hyped NFL prospect of the past decade. Uh, and you're signing him bef- before the draft. That That's awesome. Pairing him with, as you said, Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes, two of the most recognizable quarterbacks in the league is also great. Um, yeah, I think to your point, the the reason why, and, and we don't have the terms of Trevor Lawrence's deal, but the reason why NFL rookies don't get the deal that NBA rookies get is that there's just not as much awareness around their partnerships as, as you know, I think a lot of people would know. Yeah. Zion Williamson, like I know he signed with Nike, you know, he has, he's going to have his own shoe, whatever it is. There's a recognition of these deals in some sports like the NBA, and there's much less recognition of these deals in other sports like the NFL to, to the point that you just made. You know what? The NFL has done a great job at creating the faces of franchises. And more often than not, not even quarterbacks, the faces of these franchises are so often one of two, the owner or the coach. Mm-hmm. That's who I'd give my deal to. Remember when Bob Kraft wore the Nikes, right? He got a whole lot of attention. What if Jerry Jones signed an, an Adidas deal or Bill Belichick signed a deal with New Balance or whatever it is? I think that would get more attention than even the young star quarterback because they've done a great job at making sort of the authoritative face of franchises someone other than a player. And as silly as it is, the fact that NFL players are in masks when they play. Yeah, can't see them. Yep. Actually hurts their their name recognition and certainly their, 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 their recognition of their, of their face. It just makes them harder to market a little bit if unlike NBA where these guys are competing and you see exactly who they are and you would know them if you saw them in a state farm ad or if you saw them walking down the street, uh, it's just not as direct a thing in the NFL as well. That's right. Well, you know what is direct a thing? Direct a thing is if you want to be an official partner of the NFL, you have to pay lots of money. And in a category <laughs> right now, getting a lot of attention, uh, sports wagering and sports betting uh, the NFL is, is taking more money, but I'm going to take this opportunity to let everybody know you're listening to this on Wednesday. We have a live event, Sportico Live, on sports betting, betting on the rise. Fantastic lineup. Go check it out at sportico.com. You can sign up there. But anyway, I've been taking away more partners for the NFL with more b- b- billions coming in. Yeah, the NFL announced last week its first three U.S. sports betting partners. Uh, It's a list that won't surprise people who have followed the industry. It's DraftKings, it's FanDuel, and it's Caesars. Caesars and the NFL have had a casino partnership uh, for a few years. You mentioned the dollar figure, Scott. These are five-year deals. If they reach the end of their term, they're going to be worth just under a billion dollars for the NFL. Just to show... Even right now where we sit, we have about half the states with legal sports betting. The U.S. market is nowhere near fully mature. And yet this is a billion dollar uh, partnership opportunity for the NFL. There's opt-outs in there for the NFL. If, if this industry takes off in three years and suddenly the NFL says, wow, the, these guys are not paying us nearly as much as they should be. The NFL has the option to kind of cut these deals and, and start renegotiating them. They're also going to add more. This is just the top tier. The, the, the tri-exclusive was the word that the NFL used. Uh, but I would expect we're going to see Fox bet. I would expect we're going to see a few other partners coming in at the lower tier as well. All right. This is where I would normally wrap, but I feel as if I've become really good at it. Like, We've had a couple of stumbles, a couple of, oh, the, on the name, on the email, whatever. You want You want to try it? You want to do it or you want me to go ahead? You have been listening to The Sportacast, the flagship show in the Sportico podcast network. He's Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. I am Evan Novi Williams on Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. You can follow the show at Sportacast and download it wherever you get your podcasts. 
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.